Hey, what's going on, good people? Welcome back to Training Well Done, your show on the what, the why, and the how of good quality training. And you are back with your host, Coach Donald. Welcome to 2021. And I know we got off to this uh, a little late of a start with the show, but I had to do some rethinking about the show and, you know, the actual business that I run, Global Human Performance, and having a, a good start to that. So I hope you, listener, are having a wonderful start to the year. I certainly am. This is week four, and we are rocking right along. Um, a big thing that I've been working on is just like my, my workflow and being able to manage my time better. I'm one of those people that will put a million things on a to-do list and then get like 700,000 of them done and then just sit there and cry about the rest that I didn't do. When in fact, I should really just put like seven things on my to-do list and get all seven done. So I've been doing a much better job of that. Um, I don't know if any of you are those type of people who you will like be obsessed with getting stuff done on the to-do list and hating when little tasks pop up that were not on the to-do list that take up your time. You're like, man, I wish that I could just put that on the to-do list so I could check it and take it off. And I'm not going to say that I've never had things last minute pop up and I put it on there just so I could see the check mark next to it. I'm one of those people. Yes, yes. (laughs) So I'm excited for the show this year. I've been looking at doing some newer interviews, so we have some more interviews on the way, so hopefully you enjoyed the last episode before this, I believe, was Tony Kanger's interview, and so I hope you enjoyed that. She's actually been working out here recently, which has been a blast uh, working with Tony, so shout out to her, shout out to Relentless Runners, and shout out to everybody planning to uh, race this year, so I am, I haven't committed to it yet. But I think I'm going to sign up to do the Pittsburgh Half Marathon. I have not actually done like like a formal race for a half. So I am curious about uh, taking that journey on. Um, That'll be around the time when hopefully Ultimate Frisbee is back in season. And I know that's not something I've talked a whole lot about on the show, but... My big sport is Ultimate Frisbee. Shout out to the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds. And so hopefully by the time the Pittsburgh half comes along, I'll be playing Ultimate. But I think I'll still do that anyways. So I'm excited for that. Um, We're going to talk today about the two big reasons athletes need to be doing off-season training. And this goes for, you know, our runners who need to have times when their running is less intense, as well as for athletes, you know, who play ultimate, who play football, especially those who do like AAU basketball, and understanding the importance of having an off-season and like why you need to have a time that you're just not training, and then time that, more importantly, that you're not competing. And so we're going to chat about that. But I have a little story to tell you guys first about our off-season training. So I have these two athletes who um, I'm not going to put their names on the air. Anybody who trains here, or if their high school coaches are listening to this, um, it's two, I'm talking about two kids, but there's really four of them who are like straight-A students. I mean, these kids have like 4.0s. I think one of them has like a 4.3. 
But I swear, they, they're they just like brains when they get together, as um, one of their coaches says, at least I'm told, says that they share the IQ of the smartest person, which, you know, maybe the one of their IQs is actually pretty high, but then you divide that amongst four people, and it's like, oh, they're such goofballs. It's it's cute in a very, like, oh, look at the teenagers. They get along very well kind of way. But then it, like, as the adult, it actually becomes, like, head-scratching. So this Sunday, I had a fundraiser run. Shout-out to One Hood. Actually, shout-out to One Hood. Shout-out to Farouk Al-Sayed. He's actually going to be a guest on this show in the not-so-distant future. Right before I recorded this episode, he just emailed me back saying he's going to do an interview. So, yes. But um, on top of um, being uh, a leader in the um, activism community here and media and education community here in Pittsburgh, he's also, like, a badass. Um, Arguably, actually, like, quite lethal. Uh, in regards to his martial arts talent, and he works out with me sometimes, and uh, we do uh, some different training together. Like he usually puts me through some training, and so we're going to talk about that on his actual episode. But this organization, he's the director of, and so I did a fundraiser run for them for my birthday. So my birthday was just on January 23rd. So shout out to the big two nine hitting that uh, last year of my 20s is that you know complete this 30th revolution around the sun shout out to my cousin for telling me that i'm actually on my 30th revolution now and not my 29th revolution so anyways he um I, I did a fundraiser run for this just i wanted to do something special for my birthday and so the run was uh sunday after my birthday i have these boys and some other kids do this particularly uh particular course during our um, training runs throughout the week. We start at the same spot. We go across the same bridge to start. Um, It's pretty straightforward. Well, I'm announcing the run to uh, a group of people that were there. It wasn't just them. It was a, a group of like 10 or 12 of us. And I'm telling them the route. And they're standing right there. They're listening to me. They're present in front of me while I'm talking they're listening to me they clearly weren't so I described the route we go take off running now there's a couple adults there like I can take off kind of fast but there are adults that I want to chat with and they don't take off as fast as these teenagers do and these are like state level runners and then you know we have a bunch of middle school girls who are like national level runners so they just take off and I'm not about to chase them yet they know where they're going at least they're not going to get so far away that I can't yell and steer them well first time I need to yell and steer them happens rather immediately. It's 100 meters, not even 100 meters, like 70 meters down the street. They missed the turn to go up onto the bridge ramp. So we yell like, hey, turn right here. And so they, the, the girls come back and I think the boys come back. So we get up, go up the ramp to the bridge. This is the Fort Duquesne Bridge for those of you in Pittsburgh. So if you're from Pittsburgh listening to this, we started at Bettis Grill on the North Shore and then we were running up the ramp to uh, up the fort to the Fort Duquesne Bridge. So I'm halfway across the Fort Duquesne Bridge and I'm looking back like, where are the boys at? Like, yeah, they're not running fast. This is an easy run, but their easy run is still like a hard run to me. So they should be passing me by now. They didn't. I'm like 100 meters not. Nah, about 100 meters or so across the bridge. And I turn around, I'm like, I want to go back and find them. So I run back, 
And I go, I'm calling their phones, and they're not answering the phones. So I come off the bridge, and I go to the direction that they had been running. And eventually one of them calls me back. And I'm like, yo, where are you? They're like, we don't know. Why didn't you come up the ramp with us? Oh, we didn't know we needed to. What? Where are you? What are you, what are you around right now? So we're like, we're by a big yellow bridge. I'm like, I'll be there in two minutes. Now, I didn't think about this at first when he said it. I thought about it once I got back to the shoreline. There are five bridges within about a quarter mile of each other, maybe a half mile. Four bridges within a half mile. They're an easy visual reference that are all big and yellow. Like, all of them are yellow. There are five of them. So they're like, oh, we're by the big yellow bridge. I'm like, oh, my God, it could be, like, any of these next four bridges. <laughs> so I start running past the first bridge. They're not there. They're actually at the second bridge. And I yell, like, yo, come down here. So they come. And I'm like, what in the world made y'all think that you shouldn't follow us? We thought it was a free-for-all, coach. Bro, wait, oh, what? A free-for-all? What made you think that? He's like, um, well, what, the, other, the other kid was like, it's your birthday, so we thought, you know, you want us to do a free-for-all. Good sir. What in the world did I say that suggested anything like that? We do this run all the time. What made you think that you were just going to go wander down the North Shore? You can get lost on your own time, but not on my time. I don't need your parents coming after me like, you got my son lost. And, you know, they could probably run home. It's not that far, but still. Like, bro, what? What? And I explained the route. Like, I feel like explaining the route means it's not a free-for-all. And these kids have known me for years. Like, years with an S. I've never said that before. So, that was... Uh, and, and this is not a um, abnormal thing. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Like, I can laugh about this. I was laughing about it then. It was just annoying having to look for them. So, off-season training. This is, this is part of their off-season training, and so I'm going to talk about the actual meat and potatoes of this as far as off-season training goes. So, there are two really big reasons for off-season training that, you know, actually divvy up into a bunch of smaller reasons, but I'm going to try to make this sound like two, even though it's really going to turn into like six. So, first of all, when we think about the, 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 the year and an athlete's competitive season, and given that a lot of our listeners are track athletes and even actually um, ultimate Frisbee athletes, we'll kind of follow a summer, a spring and summer competitive timeline, okay? So spring and summer. During that time is when you are competing. You have your meets, you have your invitationals, you have your tournaments, all that stuff, all right? That happens anywhere between, like, April and May, let's say April through, like, July, or not, um, throughout April through July. So that's your competitive season. And then after that, there's nothing really happening. And then, you know, for, like, runners, you might have cross-country in the fall, but, you know, you're, you're, you're off from, train, from competing generally right after nationals. Um, that happens, at least for track and field, you know, in July. And then you're kind of down after that. When it comes to training, you know, let's say like basketball, where the peak basketball season is through the winter, but kids can play basketball all year round, you can get some problems when it comes to that. And so generally, 
what happens is for track, your preseason is going to be like March. Some schools, maybe even February, but like February, March is going to be preseason. And preseason is the time where you're preparing for more sports-specific training just before you start your competitive um, endeavors. So for my high school track team, I coach high school track, our first meet usually is at the end of March. And our first invitational that is a competition of any importance is usually at the middle of April, usually around like say the 20th of April. So our preseason for our athletes who are definitely going to be competing to go to districts are, or who are going to be our uh, athletes who are going to be at the uh, invitationals, their preseason runs from when we start usually the first week of March or the last week of February up until the middle of April. Once the real competitions happen, that is now the competitive season. And the competitive season is different. You know, you have your competitive season, you have your championship season, and the rigors of that tend to be very high-intensity training. You have a lot of technical work that you're working on for your sport. So when it comes to sprinters, per se, and I coach high school sprinters when I'm in high school season, we are working on a lot of speed work. And as we get progressively further into the competitive season, we're doing a lot more speed endurance work. And this, you know, high-intensity training, we have maybe two days of 90, 95% work plus an actual competitive day that's 100%. That's three, two to three high-intensity days per week. If you do that for months on end, that is frying to the body, all right? Then when you're done with that, you have your off-season. You're not doing anything during the rest phase. And then you have your off-season, which is more for skill development and um, you know, kind of letting the body recover from training and so kind of building your backup. Oftentimes, people lose fitness through the competitive and championship season, so they gain a lot of this back during the offseason. So that is what this season looks like. You have your preseason that usually will start, let's say, for runners in like February or in, in, in March, and then you have your competitive season that runs April, May, June, July. Uh, if you play Ultimate Frisbee, maybe August September and even into October for nationals for a club and then you get into the fall you have off season in the fall off season in the winter until the spring starts up again so reason number one I kind of already said it in there to rest from serious competition you your athletes and, and you, you yourself need to rest from these serious competitions they are draining to the body so what that rest looks like or what the what the rest what you need the rest from i should say is the mental fatigue competing at a high level and training at a very high intensity is fatiguing on your brain your emotions you can be emotionally fatigued from that you can be fatigued to train um, there's a lot of, you know, you can have a hormones actually, you know, start shifting and changing and affecting how you train and how your body responds to that. So you need a mental fatigue from training and to be able to just calm your mind down from the stress of competition. When you think about doing high intensity training and high intensity competition, there's a very, very high sympathetic nervous system response that you know, if you have that too much, you can have detrimental effects on the body. Also, number two, uh, part of this rest of serious competition piece, I should say, is improving through reflection. 
when you're in the middle of something major, it's hard to really reflect on it. So think about whether you, like for me, I run a business, or for you, maybe it's something about your family or your business or your training. It's hard to see what's going on when you're on the inside all the time. And so when you have this off-season time to not be in serious competition, it gives you more room to reflect. You can look over film, you can do analyses, you can look over your data, and you can take a step away from it to actually reflect upon it to help you with improving for the next time. If you're always in a state of competition, especially if you care about all those competitions, then it's hard to really step back and reevaluate what you need to be doing to improve. The third part of this uh, reason we need to rest from serious competition is to decrease injury risk. When you are competing, let's say um, someone who is triple jumping. When you triple jump a lot over months, there is a certain level of repetition that comes and you can potentially suffer an injury due to just sheer repetition, not just of jumping. It's not the jumping that's the problem, but the intensity of the jumps, right? When you are practicing your real triple jumps or when you are in competition, those jumps are of a lot of force on your body. And then the excitement that comes in through competition, so the, the hormones that, have, that, that are at play when you're doing that, you can be at risk for an injury just due to the repetition of that. Uh, those joints are getting the same level of uh, movement all the time, and then you're going to have an imbalance between one side of the body and the other. If you play ultimate frisbee, and let's say you are um, you have a certain position as like a cutter, or even you're just making particular handler cuts, and you are in a certain flow of how you play all the time, and just continuously playing at a high level, you're going to have these repetitive uh, movements. Think about when you step across to throw the disc. You are doing that in a certain way. And during the competitive season, you're not about to sit there and practice lunging on your opposite leg to just work on some of that imbalance and making sure that the other leg is strong, right? So if you're not backing away from competition, you're going to continually drive those imbalances, a little bit further. Now, as you are a really high-level athlete, having certain imbalances are necessary. When, if you're, if you're an ultimate player, being one side of the body moving better than the other is inherent often with a high-level athletes because those things kind of give you that competitive advantage. But there is a range that does not really have a objective number to it of how far these imbalances can go before you really have a problem. And so you need that off-season time to kind of rebound from that. And then I just want to drive home that point about intensity of competition causing a detrimental effect on the body if you do it too long for too far. Now, I do think sometimes athletes will back away from their sport for even a whole season. You know, not like your average Joe, but people at a high level might back away and then they come back reinvigorated again because they have the emotional and mental clarity to put in the work and stay uh, driven. Sometimes that can lead to athletes having burnout, not just physical burnout of like overtraining, but mental burnout of like, yo, this is too much. I'm training too much and I am competing too much. More so I'm competing too much and I'm doing this really intense training throughout this time and you don't have time to back off into the rest of your life. 
And again, the changes that your body has to endure to go through competition, they have lingering effects. So I hope that helped you uh, with rethinking about that whole reason we need to have rest from serious competition between the emotional and mental fatigue, the ability to improve through reflection, and then the ability to decrease your injury risk due to the repetitive movements and imbalances. So the big reason number two for an off-season is to improve your athleticism and fitness. When you are in a competitive season, let's say for track and field, you are really hammering down some of your speed endurance work. Let's say you're a 400-meter hurdler. So it, you get to like May, and let's say it's before NCAAs, uh, or really like April, just before NCAAs, you are really driving home your ability to hold a high velocity over a longer period of time through your speed endurance work so that you can fatigue out less. But that type of speed endurance is nothing like more um, fitness-based endurance, right? You are stressing your uh, glycolytic system, you're stressing your ATP PCR systems to be able to have a better output to allow you to be able to sprint at 97% for longer, which is very, very different from just building up uh, your mitochondrial bio, having more mitochondrial biogenesis to have more energies uh, energy engines, I should say, in your cells that allow you to process lactate out fat better, right? That type of training is a little different. Uh, the type of training that might give you more just general base endurance, right? You're not doing none of that. You shouldn't be in April. Um, so that fitness actually can fall off. And so part of, you know, when you look at the off season is to now rebuild your athletic athleticism. So three things here. First one, it is a good time to focus on your athletic qualities that there are not enough time and energy to focus on during a competitive season. And this ranges for athletes. This can be your base athleticism in regards to your strength. If you can increase the ceiling that you have for how strong you are, that gives you more room as an athlete to be more powerful. Now, you don't need to be out here deadlifting four times your body weight, but in the strength conditioning world, generally for um, athletes, two to two and a half times body weight is going to be ideal. For men, it's pretty good um, to be at close to two and a half times your body weight. For women, to getting the one and a half to two times your body weight is an ideal metric to be able to do in a squat or a deadlift, depending on your proficiency and preference for those exercises. Um, so, but that's generally like, you know, status quo considered strong enough, right? But a lot of athletes, you're not going to get there in one season. And so, you know, being able to improve that strength, but even once you get there, improving these power qualities across the uh, force velocity curve. On the other hand, it could be improving your athletic quality so much as a skill, maybe as a basketball player, improving how you jump. It's sometimes hard to improve these mechanical things during the middle of competition. As a basketball player, unless you have like uh, a jumping pattern that's going to predispose you to get hurt, the ability to just kind of focus and own in on optimizing the jumping may be hard because you have practice 
five five days a week where you're jumping the whole practice just do the play so that when you're in the off season and you're not playing so much you actually have time to get in a lot of reps focusing on how are you, how's your penultimate step when you're jumping how are your knee angles with when you're jumping how are you being able to project yourself in the air um, even as ultimate players same thing when you look at um, being able to time your jumps how can you practice your throwing you know, it's a great time for track athletes to work on their blocks. A lot of kids will wait until, like, championship season to start working on block technique. And it's like, you could be working on blocks all off season so that your start is A1. Doing starts is not um, that fatiguing on your CNS system or your muscles at all. So being able to spend some of that off season time working on the skill of starting and working on your running form is gonna put you leaps and bounds ahead than if you wait until the competitive season. So being able to improve those athletic qualities, how well do you do the small skills of your sport? How well can you work on your running, your lateral movement, your change of direction? All of the athletic qualities that when you build up the uh, engine and your possibility of movement, right, with um, improving that athleticism, when you go back to your sport, and you start actually practicing the very specific aspects of your sport, you're able to get more out of that. If you are going to be going uh, back to playing ultimate, per se, and now you're getting into team practices, you're doing a lot more um, tactical skills, if you spent all that off-season working on how fast you are, how high you can jump, your timing of jumping for discs, that's all stuff you're bringing to the table when it's time to actually get to work and you're with your team and you're practicing, you know, uh, different offensive sets, different defensive sets, you can really spend more time focusing on the tactical piece of the skill of the sport because you're not focusing on the athletic qualities because you spent your offseason working on that. If you're a hurdler and you spend your offseason time improving how well you hurdle, when you get into the season, you're really focusing on you know, how fast you can transition between hurdles or how fast you can really run and hurdle at a certain speed, but you've been spending all that time honing your hurdling technique so your coach doesn't have to sit there and, you know, harp at you about your technique the whole time. So that's a big piece of that. And it's hard to focus on those things in the middle of a season when you're focusing on tactics for, for team sports or you're just focusing on the... Um, high intensity aspects of your sport, but there's a very big uh, room for gain when it comes to low intensity stuff. Second part of this, improving athleticism and fitness, is to improve your body from injuries and aches that you acquired from competition. When you're playing at a high intensity, you are going to acquire some aches and pains and you might get hurt. Uh, hopefully nothing major. Sometimes, obviously, you know, people get major injuries, but there's a variety of season-ending injuries versus just like, oh, my knee aches every time I play a game or every time I race, my foot hurts, but it's not bad enough to pull you out. Off-season is a great time to work on that, to go get with a physical therapist to work on that. Maybe you're going to go see acupuncturist. Maybe you're going to go to a gym and you're going to go get a coach who's going to help you with certain movements and help you with being able to improve your movement quality so that something doesn't hurt so much. Maybe if you're a runner and your running technique's not so good, 
Um, but it's hard to always spend a significant amount of time during that, during the competitive season. You can work on that. If Say you're like a ninth grader, a ninth grade phenom. That's kind of who would be in that category, right? Your kid's a ninth grade phenom, but like their running's not really good, but it's competitive season, so you're not taking the time out to get them coached on that. Off season's a great time to do that sort of stuff. And so being able to let your body take time to bounce back from those injuries and aches, um, especially when it's tissue injuries, they take months to resolve. Tenderness injuries, ligament injuries, they take weeks and months to truly resolve, and they can only really be done outside of competition. It's very hard to rehab while you're in competition. Then a third piece of this is to just improve your work capacity to handle the next season. While in the world of track and field, you don't need a 100-meter runner to go out and be able to run a six-minute mile. That's unnecessary. And to even be able to run a 5K is also arguably unnecessary. But there is still something to be said for work capacity, which will define as your body's ability to do work or what will define as just fitness, right, overall endurance. And so when you think about training and you get into um, the – nitty-gritty of training and how tiring a two-hour, three-hour practice can be, you have to have a certain level of fitness in general between your strength and, and how well you can do your range of motion and how strong you are to how much endurance you have muscularly, how, endurance, how much endurance you have with your heart to be able to handle two- and three-hour practices day after day after day in the season, especially as the intensity of those practices go up. Sometimes you or athletes you know are getting hurt just because they don't have the fitness to make it through an entire season. And so their strength and their uh, muscular endurance and their cardiovascular endurance are so lacking coming into the season that as soon as fatigue sets in, they can't compete at that level of intensity. And as soon as they keep trying to compete at that level of intensity, their joints are not performing the way that they need to perform. And so they're going to start to get hurt. They're going to be in bad physical positions. Even if their technique is perfect at rest, if you don't if you have the fitness to be able to still move well when you're fatigued, that athlete is still going to get hurt because their form is going to come off during fatigue. So the off-season is a great time to build up that cardiovascular endurance. And there are ways for sprinters to improve their base uh, cardiovascular endurance without going out and running 5Ks. There are uh, great ways to go ahead and improve your fitness and strength without having to become a power lifter or also without going to like those you know, cheap boot camps all the time. Like there are structured ways you can do this in, in, a, in a way that's not going to take away from all uh, your skills training. That's not going to uh, make you slow, quote unquote. So those are, those are three big reasons to take that time to work on your athleticism and fitness, to focus on your base athletic qualities and skills. One, Two, to improve from injuries and aches and pains acquired from competition. And three, to increase your work capacity to handle an entire season of play. So I hope that was insightful and I hope that helped you out. And I hope you took some notes on that. All right. So share this podcast with one of those parents that you know who has their kids competing year round. Now, when I say competing year round, I just thought about something that I didn't address yet. 
It is not to say that your kids should not be competing in a sport year-round. Um, this, you know, when it comes to like middle school and high school kids, they should their off season from track might be playing soccer. Their off season from football can often be basketball, right? You do need to have some time to do a true off season in focus. Um, and so an athlete, even if they're a multi-sport athlete, should be able to have like a, a two-month, hopefully even a three-month block of time where, or at least, you know, month and a half blocks of time multiple times throughout the year at minimum to be able to focus on working on their athleticism, working on injuries and pains, or at least one of those sports not being such a priority that they can spend some time outside of that sport um, training or working on rehabbing their bodies or resting. Maybe one of those sports is a little bit less demanding. So it's not to say that kids shouldn't be competing in a sport year-round. It's to say that you should not be competing at a high level year-round, and you should not be competing in the same sport year-round. That's more so what I'm getting at. Do not compete at the same sport year-round, especially if you're at a high level. If you're like, hey, I'm 35 and I like to run 5Ks, you can compete in 5Ks all year. That's, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But there should be a certain time of the year for you that those races matter more, right? Those races in the summer are the races that really matter. But my turkey trot and my Christmas run and, oh, I'm going to run for the new year, those races shouldn't really matter. You should not be working on trying to PR for those races. You might, if you have some really good off-season training and you never get out of shape, you might still PR in those races. But the races that matter, the ones that you're really trying to do bomb at, they should occur over a certain period of time during the year. So that means that you still even have a true off-season of uh, how that is reflected in your training, okay? So this does apply to even youth, 35-year-old runner. But for, you know, those youth athletes, play multiple sports. That's actually a great way to reduce your chances of getting hurt from repetitive injuries is by playing different sports that require you to have different movement patterns. And they also work on those athletic qualities. It's just a matter of not doing the same thing all year. So... Hope that helps you out. Make sure if you have any questions, you reach out to me. You can reach out to me at donald at ghperformance.com. You can also go to the website, www.ghperformance.com. Please share this podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, give it a five-star rating. I could use that. All right. And also, I want to close out. I want to let you know I'm here. I'm owner of Global Human Performance, a performance training gym here in Pittsburgh, PA, also online coaching. So I want to let you know right now we have our ebook that we made last year. I can say last year, 10 exercises to help eliminate running pain. There are 10 exercises that we commonly use here at GHP to help our runners with feeling better. And then also, we are currently taking on new track and field athletes. So if you are a parent or a coach or a friend or just the athlete yourself of a somebody local here to the Pittsburgh area between 11 and 18, we are currently bringing on new track athletes for our training. We have our in-person, and we do online, but particularly for in-person, we have our in-the-gym strength and conditioning program, as well as our trackside program. Anybody who has an in-the-gym uh, membership has immediate access to our trackside program, and then our trackside program is also a standalone program where we work on, we take sprinters and we take long-distance athletes. Uh, we have them for separate sessions. We work on their technique, 
Uh, for our sprinters, we do a lot of acceleration work. We'll do plyometrics. We work on our maximum velocity technique. And then for our long distance runners, we have a actual long tail scheduled out running program, taking them through now all the way through uh, PIAA states in May and USA track and field nationals in July. And so we have a a three-day-a-week training structure for that, uh, for our running, and then we also provide a lot of the what you should be doing outside of with us um, in addition to that. So check that out. Go to the website, www.ghperformance.com. Uh, check out our Youth Speed and Performance Program to learn more and drop that information. Thanks for listening. Share this with a friend. I'm going to see you next time on Training Well Done. Thanks for listening. Ciao.